Hey everybody, Dave Hagen here. There's another survey out on student loans. What can we learn from that? That's today on the Financial Wellness Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to the financial success. Here is your host, financial problem solver and talk show host, Dave Hagan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Financial Wellness Podcast, as we like to call it, the TFWP. You are listening to episode four. 13 in our fourth season. And today we're going to talk about student loans again. But before we do, Mr. Brian Reed is in the house. How you doing? Pretty good, David. How are you doing, buddy? Good, good. You've been away for a couple of weeks and uh, we missed you. Hey, but I'm back. And loving it, as they used to say on what? Get smart, I think. And loving it. It's good to have you back. And Nick Appel is not with us. Now he's got a vacation. He's taken a couple of weeks off. So we will look forward to having him back as well. I got to tell you, you know, we used to do this in Van Nuys. We'd sit around a table and there'd be set up and chairs and cords and monitors and all that. And for a year now, we haven't done that. We do this by Zoom. And we're coming to you from Venice, California, and Bakersfield, California, Topanga, California, all over the place. And it's a lot more fun because we do less driving and more talking, right, Brian? Hell yes. <laughs> Hell to the yes, right? Hey, there was a survey that just came out on student loans, and it was discussed on CNBC's website, Make It. And it's embedded in an article by Abigail Johnson Hess. Came out just last week, April 8th. So this is, this is fresh stuff. Hey, it's fresh. And this article by Ms. Hess talks about the fact that millennials have become the student debt generation, the student loan generation. And she says that even as the oldest millennials are turning 40 this year, think about that, Brian. Millennials are 40. That that <laughs> freaks me out a little bit, you know? And it says as they approach middle age. Well, 40, that's not middle age. But anyway, um, it says that student loans continue to follow them. And we've spent many episodes talking about this. But when we get a different slant on it, I like to talk about it because I think it's so important to our listeners. I think a good number of our listeners are in this uh, millennial group who are turning 40 this year. And there was a recent study done among a thousand U.S. adults aged 33 to 40, and it was conducted by the Harris Poll, so pretty reputable, on behalf of CNBC Make It. And they found that these respondents, these thousand respondents, took out an average of $21,888 in student loan debt for their education. Now, I always like to check statistics because I, I want to talk about statistics a little later on in the podcast, but according to the Fed, 
the average student loan uh, total per person is more like about 30,000. The point is, it's a ton, whether it's 20 or 30, it's still an awful lot that people are dealing with. And it says, this survey, that 32% of those who took out the loans have entirely paid them off. That that's exciting to me. That's that's empowering to me. But of course, it also means that the majority, 68% of the older millennial group, are still paying down their student loan debt a decade or so later. Hmm. And while college degree holders are generally better off, I think we'd probably all agree that generally college degree holders do better. They're enjoying perhaps perhaps improved job security, perhaps longer life expectancies. Although I, I like to think that longer life expectancies are more related to having more fun. What do you think, Brian? <laughs> right? Gotta have both. Have more fun, live a little longer. And they perhaps have higher earnings. Where did we see something? Someone that goes to college ends up earning on average maybe a million dollars more over their life. So they've got more stability, uh, certainly in the financial part, but hmm, more than half, and this is the killer stat to me, more than half, 52% of older millennials with student loan debt say that their loans weren't worth it. Now, doesn't that just, doesn't that just blow your brain? More than half say that their loans weren't worth it just weren't worth it. Does that surprise you, Brian? I thought it would be maybe 30%, yeah. 40%. There's yeah. a lot of disgruntled people out there. Yep. Yep. 52%. Now, our budding attorney, Nick, and the announcer of the show isn't with us this week. Uh, and I know he's got loans because he spent the last three years in law school. So I thought that we could discuss this out of his presence, Brian, because I think he's obviously, he's, he's got a perspective that, that's pretty strong. And, and in coming out, he's got maximum debt and um, uh, he's excited about it, but he's still dealing with the thought that he's, he's got a ton of debt. So yeah, I thought, you know what? Not to listen to this episode? Yeah, well, let's, or at least let's discuss it in his, in his absence. And then he can listen. And, and when he's, he's yelling, yeah, listening to this, he's out walking or whatever. He's yelling, no, it's worth it. It's worth it. Shut up. It's worth it. <laughs> but we won't have him jumping in the way of our conversation. There we go. So 52% say it's not worth it. And you know, it struck me. I'm looking at that number and I'm thinking oh, that's a big meatball. That's a big number of people that aren't happy. And in further response to this survey, 27% said it caused them, their debt caused them to put off buying a home. Yeah, well, okay, I guess. I mean, this was the justification for forgiving the debt in the last uh, political election because people were saying, look, it's dragging down the housing market and all the things that support the housing market because people were putting off buying a home because they have this debt. And the politicians said, oh my God, what if we, what if we just forgive this debt? It'll be like throwing lighter fluid, uh, you know, on a barbecue. It would be amazing. And that was the justification. Uh, I don't know. In theory, that makes sense. Another group said 23% said it cut into them being able to save. Now that's, that's bad. 
you know, from the TFWP perspective, that's bad. That's really bad. That's a really big deal because people are not able to save. People are not able to adjust their monthly and yearly and multiple year plans that they want to follow to get them to financial success. So I had some more thoughts on, on student loans and I thought I'd pass those along, Brian, and I can kind of talk about them. Uh, but here are some thoughts. Number one, all debt is bad. There's no good debt and bad debt. It just kills me when I hear people say that. They go, well, a mortgage is good debt because you're buying something. And student loan debt is good debt because you're increasing your education. No, 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 no. All debt is bad debt, period. Don't be fooled by that. Now, some may still choose to incur some debt. Some may choose to take that risk. But all debt is bad debt. Number two, student loan debt is not for everyone. Not everyone should go to college. Not everyone should go and get a graduate degree. Um, there's a lot of studies out. In fact, I, I saw a video some years ago where they compared um, people that went to uh, trade school and had no debt and started making money right away against someone who went to college and uh, then started working a job and they had to pay the debt down. And the, the person who went right out of high school, went to trade school and started making money right away, actually came out a little bit ahead. That's interesting. That goes against one of our, our, our primary um, conventions, you know. Um, did you ever, coming out of high school, Brian, think about going to trade school? Not going to college? You went to college right out, right? Yeah, I went to college right out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I never thought about, I mean, it was just college was kind of assumed, you know. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's that way anymore. What do you think? I think it's changing. I think more people are going to be open to it. Mm -hmm. um, but as of right now, I still got to think most parents are eyeballing their kids going to college because that's the safest, quote unquote, way. You know? Yeah. 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 No, I think there's still a lot of pressure like that. But Oh man, I don't know. I, I, I think the pressure is worse now than it was ever before. Uh, because when I was looking at colleges coming out, I was looking at a wide range of, you know, private Cal state university, of California. And the thought was, well, I mean, you know, they're, they're all good. They're all roughly equivalent, et cetera, et cetera. And now the pressure is on, Oh wow. You want to go to a, a UC or you want to go to a Cal state. And not only that, you want to go to one of the brand names you know, UCLA, um, and the, the pressure more and more and more is on people um, to go to those schools, harder to get in, what they have to do to their lives, how they have to contort their lives to be able to perform on those tests or, you know, write, a, write an, an amazing um, uh, essay or whatever it takes to get in. It be, the pressure just becomes abnormally large. And for the most part, so does the debt. I mean, look at the uh, the scandal we had with uh, who was it the 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 actress and the fashion designer kid, and they were paying yeah. money to try and get him into a private school, SC, I think it was. And the 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 pressure is extreme. Um, I don't know if it helps the kid in their political life, but they certainly have, or in their personal life, but they certainly have a nice brand name on their resume. I suppose it's gotten a little extreme. You agree, Brian? I agree. I mean, there's a, a really strong argument out there, I think, to 
consider a less name brand type of school um, and have less debt, <laughs> you know, maybe that helps you with the first job, but sure. you can still work hard with a, a medium school degree and, you know, make a lot of money or Absolutely. do a lot of good and you won't have that debt to start off with. Right. Now, if, if your folks got a pile of dough, you know, hey, what, you know, sign up for Stanford if they'll let you in, right? Um, or if you really yeah. want to find yourself and you want to go to a liberal arts school out in Timbuktu, do that. But very few people have that opportunity to spend four years just to find themselves on their parents' nickel or, or uh, you know, money isn't an objective. I, I think that the value of the education should become more and more important as, as time goes along. It just seems to me. Number three, uh, you must be very specific with what you plan to do with your degree if you're going to finance it with debt. Um, you've got to be careful. You've, you've got to make sure that what you've got to do, I mean, you go out and borrow a bunch of money and come out with a degree in what? Anthropology? You know, I, I used to crack me up. I'd ask people, what's your major? Anthro? Anthro. I said, what, what are you going to do with that? Um, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> you've got to be very specific. Yeah. What, what kind of job can you get? What's it going to pay? And is that going to pencil out to, you know, to pay your debt? And I don't think a lot of people are, are thinking about that. You know, I think you've got to pencil out what you make and, and uh, what your monthly payment's going to be and, and see if you're going to be able to, you know, to take care of that. The next thing, I think you've got to realize that there's not much room for error. You can't change your major much. I remember a guy that had four or five majors when I was in school speech major, criminal justice major, he's just bouncing around. Maybe he was trying to find himself, but <clears throat> I think his parents, you know, were paying straight up uh, tuition and he was going to be there for five, six years. And that's, that starts to add up, uh, you know, even more, but you've got to realize, I think that there's not much room for error and that you can't change your path much and that the amount of debt you have may determine your path. I remember a discussion uh, that I heard uh, a lawyer who had come out of school and, and had like $200,000 in debt and wanted to go into public interest law. And the comment was, hey, fella, that, that ship sailed three years ago. Um, you don't have the choice to go out and do public interest law, which typically you know pays less. You've got to go out and get one of the big grinder jobs at least for four or five years until you can pay that debt down. You can't just not pay and go out and do whatever you want to do and not be able to pay the debt. Next, live like a student. I saw this on a, like a bumper sticker at a guidance window or a guidance wall one time. And I thought, God, that's, you know, that's really true. Live like a student. I mean, I remember when I was a student, I had some, I had, did have some student loans actually, but not very much relative to the amount of the, the tuition. And, you know, we would, we would go out to happy hours. We we're, we we're pretty good at going out to happy hours, not so much for the drink specials, but because we went to the places that had the good, the good eats. Did you ever do that, Brian? I think every person in college did it. <laughs> <laughs> right. The, the pizza, there's a little shrimp situation going on. That was a good happy hour. Give me, oh yes, I'll have uh, one beer and keep the uh, free munchies coming. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I think that um, a lot of students now, you know, spend more, more of their student loan money going out to meals or even traveling or using the money to 
um, uh, to what to go on spring break and stuff like that. And I think that that creates a problem. I know I've heard that there are students that are taking their student loan money and putting it into their Robin hood account. And you know where I'm going with this, Brian, they're going to buy Bitcoin and they go, wow, I'll double my money in three months and I'll have all this money. That's so dangerous. So dangerous. If any of our listeners are out there, don't do it. Don't do it. Because when the music stops and Bitcoin goes down, and it may or it may not, but your your student loan money, your your education could be wiped out. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And I know you own Bitcoin. I know you dig it, Brian. But I think it's risky with loaned money. Yes, definitely. You can only put into it what, in, in my opinion, what you're willing to lose. No, absolutely. And what do you do if you lose the money or you lose enough that you, you know, you don't, you you can't get in next semester. Now, what do you do? You're going to take a semester off and go out and, and, and work until you come back. I mean, once you leave school, it's hard to come back. It seems to me. Yeah, that's a bad move. Yeah. Don't do that. that. That's tough to do. Go, go live with five people in a room and study at the library and go to happy hour. Get that degree, just slam it down, get it, get it going, get it done. Live like a student. Next thing, don't use your student loan money for living expenses. I mean, back in the day when we'd borrow money, it was for tuition. In fact, I'd go to one window and they I'd sign up a, a note, you know, and it was like $600. And then they go, well, go to, go to the next window and you'd hand it to the person at the tuition window. I mean, it, it didn't even you know, the, the, the oil off your fingers didn't get on the check, but now I see people, they've got it. They've got it for six months, seven months, whatever it is. And they're using it for living expenses. They're using it for, um, I wouldn't even call it investments. I'd call it, um, gambling and don't do that. You want to come out of school with the minimum amount of debt. You know what they should do. This just hit me, Brian. How about instead of having the person who speaks in, um, uh, at graduation with the highest GPA. How about if you had the person who had the lowest amount of debt? Now there would, there would be a student with a very real perspective on life, right? <laughs> that would be very real. And it can't, and it couldn't come from their parents, but there's, there's someone that's going out with, with a, a real plan. And, and then finally, Hey, realize that the government isn't going to bail you out. They're just not. Back in the day, when, when we would graduate, you had to do an exit interview. And it shocked me because they said, you know, the student loans you got, which you know were a couple grand at that point, 3%, uh, 2%, a couple grand. They said, you know, you really have to repay these. It's like, I think the student's expectation was that, well, this is a loan, but you don't really have to ever repay. And way back then, they started chasing people, grinding people, making sure that that people paid those. And again, in the last election cycle, they were talking about, well, let's just forgive all this debt. And people were saying to me, wow, you know, should I stop paying my loan? Cause it's going to be forgiven. I'd, I'd hate to make all these payments and feel like such a pigeon when all my friends who were out spending that money had their debt forgiven. And I had some debt forgiven, but they had a lot of debt forgiven. Well, the, the latest proposal from the Biden administration was $10,000 of forgiveness 
uh, per person. So they're talking about something an awful lot less if that even happens. And so if you get 10,000 forgiveness on 21, for example, and I haven't looked at the legislation or 10,000 forgiveness on 32, 33, you're still going to have debt that you're going to have to pay. So don't realize or do realize that the government isn't going to bail you out. You can't sit around and wait for them to do this because it may never happen. And already it's been proposed uh, far, far less than uh, what people thought just what just are they going to be ago. are they going to be charging taxes on this forgiven debt well you can tell that we've hung out for for a while because i was thinking about that uh uh you know i mean literally just 30 seconds ago i mean what an interesting point <laughs> um you know uh, for for the listeners if if you have debt that's forgiven the government considers that a benefit and that becomes taxable and they want you to pay tax on that. So if you have $100 of forgiven debt, that means you got $100 more of income, which means you're going to pay whatever the percentage is that you're paying. Um, that's almost like, here you go and hand back a piece of that to me. <laughs> you know, I, my gosh, I would hope that it would be non-taxable, that there would be something in, um, uh, you know, in the tax bill that says that this isn't going to be taxable. But, you know, the last thing I just said was, hey, realize that the government isn't going to bail you out. They, they may not do you any favors. They probably won't do you any favors. So think about that. That could, that could be a tough angle. That could be a tough angle. And not so, paying will damage your credit. Well, not only damage your credit, but um, uh, a lot of student loan companies or the government, they don't even have to sue you. They just garnish your wages. So you don't even have a lawsuit. You don't even have any time. You don't have your day in court. You can't even say, hey, I got, you know, um, a, a, a cruddy education because the court won't care. You signed a promissory note and they're going to garnish your wages. And then you got to figure out, you know, what you're going to do. I, I remember years ago, um, I was talking to an attorney who had had a bunch of loans and hired me to first sort out all the people that were owed money because every year through law school, this attorney had gotten one or two loans. So we put together this big chart because these loans get bought and sold between different people. So you don't know who you're paying. And the first thing that we realized after we laid out a chart was she was um, negotiating with two separate people on the same debt. And it was a mess. We, we were looking at, you know, ways that we might solve this problem through uh, repayment plans and bankruptcy or, or discharging debt and bankruptcies, et cetera, et cetera. And the best, the best that we could come up with at that point was let them take 15% of your paycheck for the rest of your natural life. Cause 15% wasn't going to pay the interest, but just consider your wages are going to be garnished for the rest of your life. That sucks. That sucks. So, all right. On that note, hey, I want to give a, a shout out, <laughs> a shout out to some friends of mine. Um, this afternoon, I'm going to be teaching, uh, talking to some students at CSUN, Cal State University, Northridge. There's a business law class, mostly freshmen out there. And I'm looking forward to talking to you all. Think about your questions. If you want to ask me something during uh, that presentation, I'll make time available, especially if you want to talk about 
student loans and the like. But um, hey, everybody at CSUN, go for it. Uh, I'm loving talking to you a little bit later in the day. So this is just something to think about. Student loans, all this stuff came to my mind just reading this article by Abigail Johnson Hess on the CNBC website, Make It. This is Dave Hagan, and you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications. Let's listen in now as Dave answers some emails. All right, Brian, check this out. We got a voicemail from a fellow named Ben, and it got uh, it got cut off at the end prior to asking his question. But I think I know where he was going. So let me see if I can summarize what he said. He was talking about the fact that some people have been profiting from the pandemic, and he said Jeff Bezos has increased his wealth to the tune of forty billion dollars since last year. And he says that folks like Bezos pay very little tax, 1% on average, where the average American pays 9%. Boy, I wish I could pay 9%. Huh? Um, <laughs> and he says the top 20 billionaires combined wealth since just last year would pay two-thirds of the stimulus bill. And I'm, I'm sure he wanted to know what we think about these, um, these comments. So I don't know, a couple of thoughts. You know, first, I always check the, the source of the numbers, and I, I'm assuming that they're correct, that, that Ben's got the, the right numbers here. But I always like to check the statistics. You know, uh, Winston Churchill once said that the only statistics you can trust are the ones that you falsified yourself. <laughs> oh, oh, Winston had a lot of smart things to say, right? Mark Twain, love Mark Twain. He popularized the saying, um, um, there are three kinds of lies. Lies, damn lies, and statistics. That's from chapters from his autobiography uh, published in the North American Review in, in 1906. So I have, I've got one too from uh, someone who is, well, just as much of a deep thinker as Winston Churchill and Mark Twain, Homer Simpson. Homer Simpson. I in like one that. of his episodes said, statistics can be made to prove anything. 68.4% of all people know that. <laughs> I like it. I like it. So I think you always got to look at statistics. You always got to think about that. But let's 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 uh, assume that those statistics are correct. I mean, the, I think the first question is: Are you know, am I offended that people are getting rich during the coronavirus time? No, I, I'm not. If they're meeting a need and not gouging people, I mean, that's the American way. Look at the last year. Americans done some, or Amazon's done some great stuff. You can get anything delivered. You know, you can you can have a belt delivered. You can buy a fire extinguisher. You can buy little tiny screws uh, to put something together. It's amazing what they have done. In fact, more and more of us are just buying stuff on Amazon Prime. Do you find that, Brian? It's so easy to get things, <laughs> right? Why would it? You know. 
I never want to go into a store again. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, don't I don't want to go to a mall. I don't want to go anywhere. And you can find almost anything. I mean, the most obscure stuff. And a lot of times they can have it, you know, dropped off to your front door like the next day. I mean, we probably average a, a delivery every three, four days. You know, the doorbell rings, you run out there and there's there's a box. It's not big expensive stuff. It's like, oh, I needed a, um, you know, a, a new blade for the lawnmower. And rather than get off my butt and go to depot, I said, well, I'll just, I'll mow the lawn tomorrow and I'll order the blade today. So I can't get it done today. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the perfectly sharpened blade shows up. I mean, it was super easy. It's, um, you know, we, we've got points because we use the credit card that we discussed two years ago and we mm -hmm. get points. And uh, so it was like almost getting it for free. Not really. That's the way they want us to think, but it almost, it seems like that. And, you know, the concentration of the wit, uh, of the rich, and, the, and this is something that I think Ben's talking about, you know, all these people are getting rich, but two weeks ago, we did a podcast, maybe it was just last week, I'm not sure, where we talked about the richest people of all time adjusted for inflation. And in the top five was Rockefeller and Carnegie. Not even Rockefeller was number one. I mean, he he's he was richer with adjusted money than mm -hmm. Bezos, then Musk, then so many of them, then Gates, then Buffett. Um, there's always going to be rich people, and there's always going to be a concentration of wealth, and they look to fill a need, and they they ruthlessly go after how to to generate money, and the way that they keep score is you know how much. How much have they made? But if they're satisfying a need, if people are buying their product voluntarily and they're doing something that's good, I mean, more power to them. And thoughts, Brian? Yeah. Making money isn't evil. It's not dirty. It no, it be. should be. It should be encouraged, you know. And But it should be encouraged, yeah. Our social system or our tax system um, you know, one of the things that you assess taxes on are things that you don't want to encourage. And guess what? We tax income. I don't know if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, different com uh, countries, different societies have different tax systems. And I don't know, I think some of them make an awful lot of sense. But there's always going to be a concentration of wealth. There's always going to be rich people because otherwise you kind of got a, a socialist system it seems to me i don't know that's just my my thought and then with respect to the taxes um you know the rich pay one percent and everyone else pays nine percent like i said earlier if i could find a way to pay just nine percent i'd be a i'd be a happy fellow um and i kind of doubt that the rich are paying just one percent but yeah i'm not i'm, I'm not, not buying, buying that, that number. i'm not buying that yeah but if that's all they're required to pay i guess the question arises why would they pay more right Mm -hmm. um, the we problem need to be looking at if that's true, then right, that would very easily be a Netflix series that would create a social uproar. Yeah. So I'm I'm betting it's not one percent. I'm it's low, lower than you would expect. I'm sure, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but not one percent. Right. Right. And I think that you know part of the reason that um, Bezos is so rich and and. And he hasn't paid too many taxes in, in prior years is because he owned stock 
And the company was not making money because the company was taking its profits and plowing them into growth. And so now Bezos has this huge pile of very valuable stock, but he doesn't have to pay tax until he sells it. Now, when he sells it, he's going to have to pay capital gain on that. And that's less than ordinary income rates. But still, you just can't look at one particular fact in the abstract. You've got to look at it the uh, uh, you know, within the whole picture. And again, I think the problem lies with the government that lets somebody do that. Why would they, why would they voluntarily pay more? I remember when my daughter was young, she said, um, oh, I can't believe that they agreed to pay Kobe Bryant $10 million a year. That's just so terrible. Kobe, you know, bad guy. He said he would take 10 million a year. And I said, look, look, honey, if someone says I want to pay you $10 million to pay it, play a game, there's only one word that could respond to that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> right? The, the problem lies with the sponsors and the fans that are willing to pay abnormally large amounts of money for, for tickets or sponsorships or products or, or whatever it is. Um, getting back to Amazon, it seems to me the bigger concern is that when they do too well, they can start to control an industry or even an economy. And, and Ben, that does concern me because they have an unusual amount of power and Amazon is getting bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. And so ingrained in certain distribution of, of products. I mean, heck we go to the Amazon store called uh, fresh uh, to get groceries or we can just call and it'll be delivered in two hours. I mean, it's crazy easy. We're doing a lot of stuff with Amazon these days. And if they can control the economy and that, that control becomes abnormal, I have a problem with that, but we have antitrust laws to deal with that. Tr antitrust laws that, by the way, came about during the time of who? Rockefeller, Rockefeller. and Carnegie, <laughs> right? <laughs> and by the way, the, the, the U.S. government's looking into that, you know, um, right now. You know, the next thought that, that he had was, you know, should the rich pay two-thirds of the stimulus? Well, I'm not so sure, but why? Why, if someone do, does well, why should we, um, you know, take their money? unless they're doing something wrong with it. Um, if they're gouging people, if they're buying vaccines and sequestering them or selling them at thousands of thousands of dollars a shot, yeah, I got a problem with that. If somebody is, is buying, you know, all the toilet paper and, and sequestering that, yeah, that, that sounds painful to me. That's not allowed, obviously, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why they should necessarily have to pay you know, an abnormal amount or, or perhaps even a, you know, two thirds of a particular stimulus. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I remember that I saw Mitt Romney in a presidential debate and both he and who he was running against, was it uh, Barack Obama? I believe they were asked about their taxes and they both said that they paid about 17% of, you know, federal tax. And I'm sure that Mitt Romney pays some tax in California too, because at the time he, he had a place in California. Is that too little? Is that too much? I don't know. It depends upon your, your view of things. It depends upon your view of the role of government. But from my perspective, they should pay everything what, of what they're supposed to pay. And if they should pay more then the government needs to get its act together and, and deal with that. Um, Frankly, I'd love to see the tax structure a little more even than so weighted against 
um, people that, that make a lot of money. But my view is, hey, you know, good for you, Jeff Bezos. You want to make a whole lot of money. You want to solve needs and, and provide products for people so that you can put your rocket into space and you can compete with Elon's rockets and you can compete with Branson's rockets if this is the new thing for the wealthy. Um, you know, hey, I, I think that's great. But I also hope that they have an enlightened view of things like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and some of these others have, you know, about the need to solve world problems with their money and, and plan to give it all away at the end. I mean, look at, look at Bill Gates. There are some diseases that some kids had in third world countries that he's eliminated by money that it's, he's donated to solutions. Um, he's signed a pledge that he'll give the majority of his money away when he passes. And he got his buddy Warren Buffett to do the same thing. That's some pretty heady stuff. That's some pretty big thinking by some people um, who have some big money. So hopefully, hopefully these people will think in that manner and provide, you know, for the good of, of humanity as well. Anyway, Ben, thanks for calling in. I hope that that um, is a response, at least to some of your questions, maybe give you some different things to think about. Um, you know, give me a call, leave me a phone number and we can have an interesting, respectful conversation about some of this stuff. Um, you know, Brian, I think that's a wrap. That's all we got for today. I think so, man. Thanks for joining us. Interesting conversation. Got a little political there. Got a little political, <laughs> but I thought it was always dangerous. Yeah, right. Well, as some other um, uh, pundit said, you got to be careful with politics because chances are you're going to make about half the people really mad. But hopefully this gives people something to think about a little bit. Hey, tune in next week. We're going to talk about reconsidering your emergency fund. We've talked about that several times over the past bunch of years. Maybe it's time to reconsider that, especially um, as we have had to deal with uh, the coronavirus. That's next week. Hey, Brian, thanks for joining us this week. Hey, it's good to be back. It's good to have you. Hey, everybody, tune in next week. This is Dave Hagan, and you're listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast. You've been listening to the Financial Wellness Podcast, Dave's weekly message to keep you on your path to financial success. If you have a question that you would like Dave to answer on the podcast, go to thefinancialwellnesspodcast.com. You can leave an audio message with one click of a button or type your message into the question box. Either way, it's sent right to Dave's phone. Remember, Dave will randomly draw from the submitted questions and pick the winner of a free one-hour personal conversation with Dave to help you achieve your financial goals. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you receive the new episode notifications or share the podcast via the app with your family and friends. This is your announcer, Nick Appel, wishing you every financial success.